you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you open them once again to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, as we continue our sermon series through this book that speaks to those of that day, to this book that speaks of us here today. It's not just a book about the past, it's a book about the present. Title of our message is Behold He Comes, Part 2. Malachi chapter 3. Let's read together the first five verses. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. Who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he shall be like refiner's fire, he shall be like fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as it was in the days of old and in the former years. And I will come and I will bring judgment. I will bring judgment against those who are swift witnesses. I will bring judgment against those that are sorcerers and adulterers and false swears and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages and the widow and the fatherless and those that turn aside the strangers from his right and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. As we've seen in Malachi's day, there was great carnality, corruption, and crookedness in the nation, and sadly to say, in the church of his day. The people of Malachi's day, who claimed to be followers of the living God, were skeptical of God's love, careless in their worship, indifferent to the truth, disobedient to the covenants, uncommitted to their marriages, stingy in their offerings, and they were only interested in how they could worship God on their own terms. And their terms were, how low can we go and still call it worship? The Lord sends Malachi a prophet to the nation. He sends Malachi a prophet to the church. And Malachi warns the nation. He warns the church. He warns the priesthood and the people that there is coming a day when God is going to send a messenger and that messenger is going to come and make an announcement. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And in order to have a kingdom, you must have a king. And that king will be Jesus, the Messiah. They're on their way, says Malachi. You better get ready. 400 years later, that you say, Pastor, that was a long time. Not to God. 400 years later, John the Baptist came, preached against sin in high places and low places. And he introduced to the world Jesus. Remember John on the Jordan River? He saw Jesus coming. And he said, Behold, look, there is the Lamb of God. Jesus came as a lamb. He came to save. But Malachi says something else, if you notice, in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, not only will the Messiah come with the messenger once, but he's coming also again with messengers He's coming not as a lamb, but he's coming a second time as a lion. He's coming not to save, he's coming to judge. You better get ready, Malachi says. Because he's coming once, but he's also going to come again. If you notice verse 1, there's a differential made there. Behold, I will send my messenger, that messenger is John the Baptist, and he shall prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek. This is speaking of the first coming of Jesus. Notice how the tenure changes, though. And this one who is coming shall suddenly come again into his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. And who may abide in that day of coming? Who shall stand when he appears as one like refiner's fire and fuller soap? Last week we looked at the first coming of Jesus as announced by John the Baptist. Today we're going to look at the second coming of Jesus as announced by others who will have the spirit of Elijah and the spirit of John the Baptist within them too. Now, when Malachi wrote this, as I told you earlier, it would be 400 years before the Lord would come the first time. As I'm speaking to you right now, I don't believe it will be 400 years before he comes the second time. In fact, you've heard me say many times, and I believe this now just as much as I believed it when I came 25 years ago. Jesus is coming soon. And some of us here today are not going to die. We're going to go to glory not by way of the grave, not by way of the undertaker, but by way of the rapture, the upper taker. Folks, we are living in the final minutes, if not seconds, 
of history. And some of us need to know that and understand that. We need to get ready. So we're going to be now looking at the second coming of Jesus. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19. Now we're going to jump over there. And the Apostle John gives us a picture of that second coming. Remember, the Lord came as a lamb the first time to save, but the next time he's coming as a lion to judge. Revelation 19, beginning with verse 11, John says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, there was a white horse. And he that sat upon him had a name. He was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, his head were as many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he knew it himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies which in heaven followed him upon white horses. They were clothed in fine linen that was white and clean. And out of this one, out of this one who's called the Word of God, out of his mouth went a, sh a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a the rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. You are now going to be able to eat the flesh of kings and of captains and of mighty men, of horses and of them that sit on those horses, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, small and great. Verse 19, I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the white horse and his army that followed with him. How does this battle take out? How does it finish? Look at verse 20 and 21. The Antichrist was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. The one that deceived them with the mark of the beast, and to worship the image of the Antichrist. They were both cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were slain with the sword by him that sat upon the horse. And the sword proceeded out of his mouth. Notice he doesn't hold this sword with his hand. It comes forth out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now we're going to come back to that, so keep your place there. But three things I want to lay on your heart this morning. As we talk about, behold, he comes. The coming of Jesus the second time. As predicted and prophesied by Malachi to those of his day and to us today. The first thing I want you to think about with me is the signs that will come together as his appearing draws near. 
the signs that will come together as his appearing draws ever so near. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus gives a discourse on Bible prophecy. He talks in part about the signs that the final generation particularly will see take place. And after he gives some of those signs, in Matthew 24, verse 8, he makes a statement. He says, these signs that I give you are like the beginning of sorrows. Matthew 24, verse 8. A literal translation of the beginning of sorrows is the beginning of birth pains. What Jesus is saying is, the signs that you will see will be very similar to the signs that you would see as a lady, is a woman, is preparing to give birth to a baby. Now, I've never given birth to a baby. Let me go on record as saying that. But you ladies have. And so what I'm telling you, you already know. You can just say amen to. And you men can just look there and go, huh? (laughs) When the labor pains begin, they're sporadic. They're mild. Generally uneventful. Many first-time mothers say, this ain't no big deal. (laughs) But as the birthing process continues, the labor pains tend to increase. They become closer together. They become more moderate in pain. They become a little bit more bothersome, a little bit more uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, as the birthing process is about to produce the baby, there is a surge that takes place. The contractions, they pick up dramatically. They become extremely intense. The stress mounts as the pain mounts. And there is no let-up. What was mild and moderate now becomes rapidly intensive. What was sporadic now has become very forceful. What was no big deal, what was okay, now is overwhelming as the baby enters the world. Jesus says that's the way these signs are going to be. They're always going to be there, but you're not going to pay any attention to them in the beginning because they'll be mild, they'll be sporadic. No big deal. But as the coming draws near and nearer, 
things are going to dramatically pick up. The intensity is going to increase. The hardness, the heaviness, the pain is going to increase. It is going to overwhelm the world. That's what's going to happen. So when people say, well, pastor, we've always had these signs, we have. But no generation, perhaps but ours, has ever seen them come all together. All together at once. All together with intensity, with a painfulness, with a an overwhelmingness about what are we going to do? What signs am I talking about? Let me just throw thumbs out with you. The Bible says there will be global signs that you'll see. The nations of the world are going to be in a geographical position, political position, and are all going to come together at once. Russia is going to return to power. We thought the Russian bear was wounded, didn't we? When the Soviet Union collapsed, they're back. And a wounded bear is the most dangerous kind. Russia is going to return and rise again. That's what the scripture said. China will become much more aggressive and militant the scriptures would suggest. Israel is going to be overwhelmed, surrounded by enemies on all sides who want to annihilate the Jewish people and destroy the Jewish nation. Chaos and conflict are going to fill the Middle East. The Western Europe will be leaderless and passive, and the United States of America, our beloved country, is not mentioned at all. What happens to America? I don't know. Maybe it's our $21 trillion of debt that blows up and sinks us economically as a nation. Maybe it's our dysfunctional government where nobody gets along and nothing can ever get done. Maybe it's our exhausted military just wears down and wears out because they can only do so much for so long. Maybe it's a combination of all of that, I don't know. But there's going to be global signs. And Jesus said there'll be a generation who's going to see them all come together. Not only the global signs, but the danger signs. Terrorism and war is going to fill the world just before the coming of the Lord. Famine and disease are going to fill the world. Crime and violence will fill the world. Natural catastrophes, which we know very much about here, don't we? Hurricanes and other things are going to sweep the planet. Convulsions 
our world will become a culture of death. The unfit will die. The unborn will die. The elderly will die. Anyone who doesn't fit what our society says is a human being will be subject to death. There'll be church signs before the church is taken up. Biblical truth will be rejected. A well-known Bible preacher whose father is a legend, but he's not, but he has a TV show. He no longer will say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I don't want to say the Bible's true anymore. If I told you his name, you'd be shocked. But we see it everywhere. Pastors rejecting the truth. God's people rejecting the truth. The Bible says that will happen in the final days of history. Biblical Jesus will not be wanted. Jesus is wanted, but not the biblical Jesus. You say, Pastor, who's the biblical Jesus? Creator, Savior, Lord, and God, all of that. Today we want to be a cafeteria line and say, well, we'll take him as creator, but I don't want him as savior. I'll take him as Lord, but not as God. Listen, you can't pick and choose what you want about him. And yet we live in a day when people are doing that. The biblical truth is rejected. The biblical Jesus is not wanted. The church today, what goes on inside the church is no different than what goes on outside the church. Carnality, corruption, counterfeits are everywhere. And the church is rejected by the world. We want to be like the world, and the world doesn't even want us. Because we know they know we're a cheap version of them. The world thinks we're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites and phobics. And maybe rightly so at times. Then the Bible talks about society signs. There'll come a time when God will be irrelevant and trivial, where man will be the captain of his own ship and determine his own destiny, where hatred and polarization and violence will exist among people, and the world will be looking for someone to fix the mess. Now remember, these signs by themselves are just a couple here and a couple there. They're no big deal, are they? We've always had that kind of stuff. But Jesus said there's coming a time when it's all going to come at once. And it's going to come so quickly and so swiftly and so hardly and so painfully that the world is going to be overwhelmed. And if something didn't give, the world would literally destroy itself. And we know that he's coming again when we start seeing all that. Better get ready. Secondly, John the Baptist announced the first coming of Jesus. But there will be others who will have the spirit of John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, you might say, who will announce the second coming of Jesus. Now, I wonder who they would be. Who are these spokesmen that God is going to bring on the scene to wake up a church that's sleeping. To call a world to repentance 
who sits in sin. Well, the Bible tells us a group of folks that God will use. God will use faithful preachers. Men of God who will preach the second coming of Christ to their congregations and to the people. There's not a lot of people who talk about the second coming of Jesus anymore. We've got heaven here on earth. Why do we need him? That's why the church at Laodicea says of Jesus, where was he at? Outside the door knocking, wanting to get in his own church. Can you imagine having church without Jesus? The church of the last days will have church without him. Maybe not without him, but without the biblical Jesus. A Jesus of our own making will let him in the door. So faithful preachers, starting with Paul and Peter and going down through the ages, and I could name name after name after name, have told us that Jesus is coming again. And we yawn, we get bored, and we don't believe it. It's okay. God's telling us. And then in the tribulation, 144,000 Jewish evangelists will sweep the world. They'll have the gift of tongues. They'll be able to speak in every known language there is and communicate Christ to every people group there is. I wonder if they will announce he's coming. You better get ready. He's coming. I'm sure they will. 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. He's coming. And then the Bible talks in Revelation 11 about two witnesses who will come to Jerusalem. They'll have the power, if not be the person, of Moses and Elijah. And they will take on the Antichrist, whose dominion, whose headquarters, if you will, will be out of Jerusalem. And they will announce to the Jewish nation and the Jewish people, He's coming. You crucified Him the first time, but He's coming. He's coming again. Repent. Get ready for the Messiah. Revelation 14 says a mighty angel will preach the final message to the world. Our God is so gracious, our God is so good, that when our world is about to go up in a powder keg in the final months of history, he sends an angel, maybe Gabriel, to preach a worldwide message to people of salvation. And the king is coming. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God always tells his people and tries to tell the world what he's going to do. We just don't listen or we don't believe. They didn't believe when Jesus came the first time. They won't believe when Jesus comes the second time. Those who listen and respond get saved. And those who laugh and mock and vilify and persecute they perish. Malachi says he's coming. 
The first time he comes, he's coming as a lamb. And John the Baptist will announce him to the world. And the world will reject him. The second time he comes, he will also have spokesmen. But the church and the world will largely ignore it. It doesn't fit their theology. It doesn't fit their lifestyle to have him come. So once again, he'll be rejected by most. Sadly to say. And then lastly, we see the signs that are all going to come together. And by the way, that was just a small portion of them. This message, you can't give you every single sign. We'd be here to midnight tonight. Also, we see the spokesmen who are going to announce his coming. Now let's go back to Revelation 19 and just kind of break down our verses real quick and close out. By seeing the sovereigns comes. The signs all coming together tell us it's near. The spokesmen have spoken and will speak up until the very time that he comes. And then he comes. The Bible said in the fullness of time he came the first time. May I suggest to you in the fullness of time he comes a second time. In verses 11 through 21, if you'll just kind of look at the verses, we read them earlier. But I'll point out some of the things to you. First of all, notice his nature when he comes. If I was to ask you to draw a picture of Jesus right now, how would you draw him? Probably as a shepherd. Probably with a smile on his face. Maybe a lamb in his hand. Maybe he would look congenial and kind and loving. And he's all of that, ladies and gentlemen, and more. But remember, when he comes the second time, he's not coming that way. He came to forgive sin the first time. He's coming to judge sin the second. Notice he comes as a king in verse 12. See your Bibles? It says he comes with crowns on his head. The, the word for crowns means he's royalty. This is not a temporary crown given to an athlete who wins a race. This is a royal crown worn by somebody who's a king. A king of kings, a lord of lords, a ruler whose rule will be forever. So he comes as a king. He comes as a promise-keeping king. Because in verse 11, it says his name is faithful and true. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not believe it, but what he says is what he's going to do. Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's forgotten. Doesn't mean it hasn't going to happen. He is faithful and true. He said, I'm coming again, and he shall. He's a promise-keeping king. He's also a warrior king. Verse 11 and 12 says he comes to make war. He's coming back as a judge. 
He's going to judge the sins of a world who rejected him as Savior. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you can pay for your sins or you can let Jesus pay for your sins, but somebody's going to pay for them. And if you reject the Savior, then you have to pay for them. That was never God's plan. Aren't you glad of that? That'd be a good place for an amen. God never wanted us to have to pay for our sins. That's the whole purpose of the cross. That he would put our sins on his son, and his son, the final Lamb of God, would pay for them fully, freely, and forever. But if you say, I don't want you, Jesus, I don't want you, then you will pay for him. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. He's coming as a warrior king to deal with the sins of a world that has rejected him. Notice not only his nature, but notice his name is called the Word of God in verse 13. He's the Word of God. You say, Pastor, I thought the Bible was the Word of God. It is. This is the written Word of God. He's the living Word of God. If you love one, you'll love the other. Because of the flip side of the same coin. If you say, I love Jesus, then you'll love the Bible. If you say, I love the Bible, you'll love Jesus, right? Because they're the Word of God. Never ceases to amaze me how people can claim to love the Lord Jesus and yet not love the Bible. In fact, many deny the Bible who claim to love Him. I'm telling you, it can't be. If you love the written Word, you'll love the living Word. He's called the Word of God. He tells us who He is in the Word of God. You say, but why is the Bible important? Because it tells us who Jesus is. He's creator. He made everyone and everything. He's savior to whosoever will come. He's Lord of all. One day, every knee will bend, every head will bow, every tongue will broadcast that he is Lord. And he's God. He's the second member of the Holy Trinity. The Son of God is God the Son. Do you understand that? So his nature, his name, Notice his number that's going to come with him in verse 14. He's not coming alone when he comes the second time. He's bringing us with him. The redeemed of all the ages are going to be his army. We'll ride white horses, we'll be dressed in fine linen of white. And we'll follow behind the king. That'll be a sight to see, won't it? Can you imagine that? Let's just say there's a billion people who have given their life to Jesus since creation. Can you imagine a, a billion man Calvary coming out of the heavens? Wow. I hope that you're going to be on one of those horses. Hope you've given your life to Jesus. When he comes again, I wish I could tell you he's going to be received. That people will finally see him with their own eyes. They'll see the saints of God in the long army behind him. And they'll fall on their hands and knees and say, Lord, save me, I'm so sorry. And you know, he'd save them if they do that. 
Even at the last moment, he'd save them if they do that. But look, look at verse 19 through 21. You notice his nemesis. What is the world going to do when Jesus comes again? Well, in verse 19 through 21, you can see with your own eyes the beasts, the kings of the earth, their armies, they all gather together to make peace with him. Is that what it says? Make war, no. Against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Foolish, wicked men are going to all come together, red or yellow, black or white, they're all going to hate him. And they're going to go to the valley of Megiddo where the final battle will be fought called the Battle of Armageddon. The wicked of the world, the wicked men of the world are going to be there to oppose him. Surely if we can get two or three billion people like us, we can stop one of him. That's what they think. Also, every demon in hell will be there. Every demon that rebelled against the Lord is going to be there at the valley of Megiddo. So you've got natural man, foolish and wicked. You've got supernatural demons, foolish and wicked. All of them there. And then you'll have the Antichrist there. The last world dictator. Satan Superman. He'll be there. His false prophet that we read about. The sinister minister of religion. Who told the world that Jesus was not the Messiah. The Antichrist was. Worship him. Receive his mark. He'll be there. And Satan himself will be there. Oh, Slewfoot will be there. And every one of them believe that if they join their ugly, nasty hands together, they can stop Jesus. Wow. I don't know if you saw the old western gunfight at OK Corral. That's what this is going to look like, a gunfight. The Lord Jesus and the armies of heaven versus the armies of hell. By the way, <laughs> who do you think wins? It's interesting that it says the Antichrist and the false prophet Jesus grabs with his hands and throws them into the lake of fire alive. Satan will be chained. We know that from the following chapter that comes. And all of the human beings that chose to reject him will be destroyed. You know how he destroys them? The Bible says with what? The word of God. He spoke creation with the word. Never dirtied his hands. Just spoke it. And he'll spoke out of creation those who have opposed him. Ladies and gentlemen, Malachi said to the people of his day, he's coming. He's coming first and John the Baptist will announce him. He will come as your Savior. 
Receive Him while you can. Repent of your sins. Get right, get ready. And then He says He's coming again. He will come when all these signs appear at once with an intensity that the world has never seen before. As a woman prepares to give birth, so shall the signs be. His coming will be announced. Anybody who will listen will know. And when he comes, he's coming as king, warrior king, to judge and to make war. Malachi said that to those of his day. Most of them could care less. He says it to our day. What are we going to do with it? In closing, I heard the story of an old man who was sitting on a bench outside a seminary. And some seminary students came out of the seminary and they were talking about the book of Revelation of all books. And they were all debating and talking and arguing and presenting their different views on this book that's in many ways is a mystery. And as they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, one of the young seminary students walks up to the old man who's sitting on the bench. He said, I noticed you've been listening to everything we've been saying. What do you know about the book of Revelation? <laughs> and the old man says with a smile, he says, well, I, 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 I don't know a whole lot, but I do know some things. And the young whippersnapper, studying to be a minister, said, well, what do you know? And he said, I know that we win. And that's all you need to really know about the book of Revelation. The good guys win. I hope you're a good guy. I hope you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.